0: expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT.
1: Extra, extra, read all about it. It's time. It's 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 Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Taiwan Foreign Correspondence Club President Jane Ricards. She's also a correspondent for The Economist. Jane, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Keith. And from Taichung, we're joined once again by Compass Magazine's Donovan Smith. Donovan. Good to be here. Today on the show, we will be talking about Taiwan's failed bid to join the AWIB as a founding member, last week's deadly MRT worksite collapse in Taichung, and proposals to clean up Taiwan's power plants. Uh, but first... It was only last week that we were talking about the campaign trail to Taiwan's 2016 presidential elections. Uh, but we can't quite seem to keep away, not with the major news this week, that DPP Chairwoman Tsai Ing-wen has declared her candidacy and been confirmed as the DPP nominee uh, all in one fell swoop. So before we get into uh, what she said or or the tone of the campaign so far... Uh, Interestingly, you know, she's already running unopposed. There, there was uh, nobody going against her in the party. So what does that say about uh, the state of DPP right now?
0: I think that it shows that the DPP is relatively unified compared to the past. She didn't have a major challenger. Um, the, some of the, the major party stars, like, say, um, Tzu Chang, they didn't run against her. They backed out and let her take so, it.
1: So she's, uh, she's just kind of the acknowledged, you know, leader and forerunner of the party right now.
0: Yes, I think she is. But having said that, I would stress that the DPP hasn't completely alleviated its factional struggles. They still exist. But compared with the past, they're as I said, they're relatively more unified.
1: Mm. Now, she made this announcement Wednesday uh, at a press conference. Uh, Donovan, anything that she said that uh, struck you?
2: Well, she spoke for 15 minutes, and she spoke uh, in general terms of, what the, of the direction that she wants the party to go in. And she took a few swipes at the at the KMT. Um, now, she said, it's sort of an, in general sense, she spoke a lot about, uh, about wealth distribution, uh, job creation, uh, these sorts of things. And to sort of sum it up, I, she, I have a little quote here from her. Uh, I have long believed that if the government is willing to engage in looking at the issues from the perspective of the people's needs and reassess the outdated concepts of governance, the policy decisions by the government would be very different. She had a very sort of people... Folksy, centrist, uh, centrist or sort of centered approach uh, in her speech. But the part that obviously got the press's attention were her very relatively short comments on uh, cross-strait relations.
1: Right. That was definitely the part that got the headlines. And it it was reasonably critical of uh, the KMT's handling of cross-strait relations. Is that right, Jane?
0: Yes, but it's more from the perspective of so-called black box politics, that the sort of lack of transparency and the secrecy. For example, she called for the cross-strait monitoring bill to be passed and to oversee cross-strait agreements under negotiation.
1: Right. I mean, the term that she kept on saying is a return to democracy, a return to democratic handling of these uh, talks.
0: Yes. But I would point out that compared with past DPP leaders such as President Chen Shui-bian, she's actually quite a pragmatist when it comes to cross-strait relations. I think she's being a pragmatist as much as she can be within the constraints of the party's ideology and factions and so on.
2: She also came out right in the beginning and stated, right in the very first, uh, in her opening, she said she's running for the Office of President of the Republic of China. Um, and she also made a, a, a she, she re- repeated multiple times that they really wanted to move past uh, cross-strait, uh, she said specifically normalizing cross-strait relations by taking them beyond the KMT-CCP framework i asked the taiwan taiwanese people to trust that i absolutely will not fail to live up to this mission is
1: what she said now uh pragmatic is one thing but the big uh, i think criticism that the kmt has been trying to hit her with is that uh, her policy is is too muddy it's not clear enough uh and do you think that that's going to be a line of criticism that's going to stick is that going to be what they're going to run with during this campaign
0: I would say that would definitely um, be a criticism from China and I would say that was- people in Washington are also anxious about this because China's sort of setting this these conditions. They're saying that um, its bottom line is a 1992 consensus.
1: And she didn't mention that in her speech. No,
0: well, she's in a very awkward position because um, if she um, says she supports the 1992 consensus, it's political suicide, not, even- not only within her party but even with voters. But um, at the same time, she can't sort of – be too openly pro independence because that's going to worry the powers that be
2: mm. and
0: um so she has to be vague because she's sort of being forced into this position where she has to be fairly vague to sort of satisfy everyone else. it's a
1: big balancing act yes yes yeah. well we uh we know that it's going to be tying when now the big question is who will be she facing off with uh, next january The KMT kicked off its nominee registration this week, but so far, none of the obvious frontrunners seem particularly eager for the race. In fact, this week, Eric Chu reiterated his promise to serve out his mayoral term, even after a poll found him the most desirable presidential candidate among Pan Blue supporters, uh, with also the best chance of beating DPP chairperson Tsai Ing-wen. So, uh, Jane, at at, at this point, what are you hearing about uh, the likelihood of uh, an Eric Chu running?
0: Well, obviously, there's different opinions within the Pan Blue camp. I heard from someone fairly highly placed in the KMT that they have the impression he doesn't want to run. And um, why the delay is in announcing the presidential candidate is that everyone in the KMT is hoping that he would run. Like, you know, KMT lawmakers have expressed a lot of hope that Eric Dew will run. So... I think that's what's going on. However, I've spoken to other people in the Blue Camp who just say it's all strategy and Ju does plan to run but he wants to announce it at a more appropriate time. So it's it's very opaque process even to people quite close to the KMT or decision makers in the KMT. It's still quite opaque.
2: I have something to add here, and that, and that is that there's one consideration which I, I haven't really seen anybody talking about, but has to weigh really heavily on the KMT and on uh, Eric Chu's uh, mind, and that is that if he runs for president and he doesn't step down from the new Taipei mayorship, that's going to look really bad. It's going to look like he's not serious. But if he gives up the new Taipei mayorship to run. And he only won by about ten thousand votes, and that would mean that the only special municipality they've got left would then be open to a challenge and they very likely would lose it. Um, which would mean then that, that the KMT would be without any major positions nationally. They'd only have five uh county commissionerships left, and that's Miao Li, which just went broke, uh Nanto, Taidong, uh, you know, and, and a couple of others. So if if they lost that special municipality, and he lost the presidency, then that would be a disaster for the KMT. They'd have pretty much nothing left.
0: I've heard that um, theory too. I've also heard that the KMT could be worried that, um, the, as you said, the DPP has a possibility of winning New Taipei City um, if, if ju steps down. And that what I've heard, that would create a lot of, sort of negative spin for the KMT ahead of the legislative elections, which the KMT will perform relatively better in, so... That yeah, that could sort of hamper their election prospects if there's a lot of negative vibes about losing New Taipei City.
1: We also found out this week uh, as well that it will, in fact, be Eric Zhu who is going to lead the KMT's delegation for the annual forum with the Communist Party of China uh, slated for early next week. Now, if this is uh, a guy who's going to be running, that would be a bit of interesting campaign optics. Uh, so what 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 do we think is behind this decision to go over there?
0: Yes, it's it's very sort of difficult to sort of determine why he's made this decision because if you look at the results of the municipal elections last year obviously the Kuomintang was drubbed and um, a really big factor behind that was sort of the sunflower protests and sort of anti-China feeling they sort of drubbed up so it seems to me a little bit odd that he'd choose to go to China at this point when there's a presidential election coming up um, and he's been very cagey about whether he wants to meet with Xi Jinping or not, and that's possibly because of the public mood in Taiwan.
2: It does, however, give him a little bit more uh, credentials on dealing with the outside world, which up to now he has you know, a Singapore trip, and that's about
1: it. So definitely lots of different ways that it could play. All right, so we're going to have to leave that uh, and moving on to one of our favorite topics on this show, uh, the China-backed Asian Investment Infrastructure Bank. The Ma administration pushed all the way to the last minute to get Taiwan in as a founding member, but that effort has come to nothing with the news this week that China has rejected Taiwan's bid. Now, Taiwan can still apply to be a normal member, but it does mean uh, that Taiwan won't have uh, any say in the writing of the charter of the bank. Uh, so, Jane, do we know anything about what's behind China's decision to reject Taiwan?
0: Well, I spoke to a professor who's very close to the Taiwan Affairs Office, and according to him, it's got Taiwan not being able to be a founding member has got nothing to do with the names. He says that China's quite happy with the name Chinese Taipei as is as Taiwan is. It's more to the more connected with the fact that Ta- um, China doesn't want Taiwan to be a founding member because it doesn't want to treat Taiwan equally and it doesn't want to give an impression of two Chinas or one Taiwan, one China. And it's afraid if it allows Taiwan to be a founding member that the outside world will get this impression. So there should be no problems with Taiwan's entry into the AIB as an ordinary member.
1: Now, I have heard a little bit of speculation that this may be in part due to the slowdown in talks uh, between China and Taiwan, uh, and that China is looking at at some of the opposition that there was to this bank and thinking, well, if we're not going to be moving forward in any of these uh, cross-strait talks, we don't want to be giving, you know, basically something that would be pretty good for Taiwan uh, and and give that to you. So if we imagine an alternative universe um, where these trade deals had been signed, uh, service trade agreement... a trade and goods agreement. Do you think that this would have played out any differently?
0: Not really, no. I think that China wants to give Taiwan as many economic sweeteners as it can to make the people feel warm towards China and more willing to reunify in the long term. So I think possibly um, there might have been better communication between Taiwan and China if um, the cross-strait deals had been signed and Taiwan was moving at a much faster pace towards economic integration. Um, but what this professor told me is that um, China is very unlikely not um, China's very likely to admit Taiwan into the AIB simply because I um, an election's coming up and there'd be a lot of backlash and anti-China feeling if China completely shut Taiwan out.
1: Right. So you're saying it's still very likely that Taiwan will make it as yes, a member, if yes. not a founding member. Yeah.
0: It won't be a founding member, but very likely
1: to make it as a member. Uh, Donovan, anything you wanted to add there?
2: Well, yeah, I think actually fundamentally it's that they didn't they didn't want uh, to be a, f- a founding member. But there's two other things I could they could add. What I thought was quite interesting is how much the press focused on the name issue, um, and with some of the press thinking that that was and actually reporting that that was indeed the case for why China didn't do it, as if that were true, even though uh, the Taiwan Affairs Office specifically just said they can apply under a. Very vaguely just said, under an appropriate name it didn 't specify one way or another whether they liked or didn 't like the uh, the name that uh, Taiwan applied under. Uh, but the other thing is how kind of slapdash the uh, the, the, the application was done in it was done in a very short amount of time. Um, And it was done on a blank piece of paper with no no heading, and it went through, unlike uh, every other country, which went through the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs in China, it went through the Taiwan Affairs Office. So I think that there's going to be some blowback, and there already is blowback politically here in Taiwan against Ma on this. And again, a lot of people are criticizing it as a black box, another sort of black box dealing with China.
1: Right. Well, we were hearing that even before the application went in. Of course, the Ma administration uh, was pushing this pretty hard, uh, trying to convince people that this was the right way to go. Um, since the rejection happened, Premier Mao Juqua uh, is defending the Ma administration's bid to join. And uh, he says that uh, going forward, uh, Taiwan will only pursue this if uh, the talks are pursued with dignity and fairness. And he says that Chinese Taipei would... Be the bottom line for Taiwan. It's not going to accept any name below that. Uh, but, you know, even with the administration saying all this, there is definitely going to be probably more backlash now that uh, Taiwan has been rejected. Have we heard any uh, semblance of that so far? Well,
2: there's that, plus also the U.S. issue. I mean, this this looks bad to the U.S. The U.S. Uh, did everything they could to get the, their allies and uh, oh, yeah. and people not to join. And, of course, not, not only did did ma uh at the last minute sort of change his mind try to uh, try try to join it, this is, and then got rejected, and now the u s is probably not very happy with them sort of the combina- combination and that 's kind of a one two punch and then uh, internally there's going to be a lot of people who are unhappy about this of course as well
0: um, i'm not again um, it's, it's, i'm not sort of completely sure that the u s would be that unhappy with it. Um, As you said, you've got very sound arguments why the US might be unhappy with it. But on the other hand, the US has always encouraged Taiwan and China to talk to each other and they've always approved of the sort of 21 cross-strait agreements that Taiwan signed with China. And this is another way of lowering tensions and getting them to speak to each other. Um, I spoke to someone in the government who said that, um, you know, there was a sort of mad rush to join the AIB, which was led by Britain once Britain said that it would join. That the u.s sort of signaled that um it might cooperate with the AIB I think it said the World Bank would cooperate indicated it might cooperate with the AIB and Taiwan saw that as a sign that the US had sort of softened its position this is what this government official told me um but again you know the US hasn't said anything publicly so a lot of this is speculation I mean it's educated speculation but yeah.
1: <laughs> right so uh, definitely a lot of the players in this whole thing are, are keeping their cards pretty close. We're going to have to keep an eye on it and follow it as it unfolds. Uh, On to our next story for today. Uh, Today actually marks exactly one week since the tragic Taichung MRT collapse that resulted in four deaths and four injuries. Uh, And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't really sure whether or not we were going to be talking about this tonight. Uh, But since the incident, allegations have been swirling about the management of the worksite and lacks safety standards. Uh, And with lots of blame going around, the political fallout is growing by the day. In fact, just yesterday, KMT members of the Taichung City Council demanded the Control Yuan impeach Mayor Lin Long and other officials uh, for what they're calling negligence uh, in oversight. Uh, But before we get to the politics of this, uh, for anyone who hasn't been following this story closely... Let's recap a little bit what happened here. Uh, Now, the incident occurred when an elevated section of the under construction MRT system collapsed and fell four stories, killing both construction workers and bystanders. Donovan, what do we know so far about what was behind that collapse?
2: Well, the speculation now, and it seems to be, it seems to be uh, coming together, that essentially what happened was is that. The brackets that were supposed to hold the the two hundred and nine ton steel beam into place were not either not bolted properly or the nuts simply weren't applied uh, or, they, they, there were no, or the bolts were missing, um, plus also some misuse of the cables that were supposed to put it in, into place. Now, there were some, some problems with the, with the construction site. Among other things is that the mayor had cleared out uh, the safety fencing below the site in order to speed up traffic, which is one of his campaign promises that he was going to uh, make traffic smoother in the city. Now, another big issue is that the contractor had not given the proper three day notice uh and was had only given i believe a few hours notice and the and they were doing it at rush hour which believe it or not there was this was not this was not a banned practice uh they they were they were allowed to under the rules to do this at any time. So without that, and then this is the other part that a lot of people found quite shocking, is that there was no standard operating procedure in place to deal with the fitting of the beams. Um, and as prosecutors, prosecutors stated that they said that the the, the, uh, the crane operators and the construction crew were like children playing with building blocks.
1: Right. So that's kind of what was going on the day of the incident. Uh, But KMT lawmakers are saying that it may be possible to trace uh, the breaches in safety uh, to Mayor Lean's decision to speed up construction of of the section. What have you heard about that?
2: Well, yes. Uh, Well, the mayor on January 12th specifically said he wanted to move the construction uh, speed up by almost 2 years. Uh so that's so a lot of people now are speculating that the reason why the company was sort of sloppy in this not apply, applying properly and all of that was in order to make uh the city happy. Uh I mean with the KMT when they brought up their their uh, their impeachment suggestions or their their plan to impeach to try and get him impeached by the control UN. They noted some things like for example, last year there were 25 inspections conducted and that and there were no irregularities found. But of five uh, conducted this year, three uh, found, uh, found irregularities. So that could be well related to uh, speeding the thing up. But again, that's, that's speculation at this point.
1: So it's kind of interesting to note that the other major story in the news today is uh, the Taipei City government's claims that Far Glory's plan for the Taipei Dome project uh, are unsafe. Uh, the safety commission said the arena will be too big, I uh, have too many people to evacuate safely uh, in the case of an emergency. So, uh, and this is obviously a product of Mayor Cohen's drive to take a hard look at uh, the past administration's construction projects. So here we have uh, two mayors in two different cities, two new administrations that are we're having big stories coming out about you know construction projects that they've inherited. Uh, are there any parallels here? Are there any connections that we can make?
0: I think you can make a very loose connection that I think they're both trying to make their mark. They're trying to sort of differentiate themselves from the previous Kuomintang administrations. And I think they're sort of determined to sort of start afresh. Mm. But I think beyond that, I think there's sort of two completely sort of very different incidents.
1: All right. So, so far today on the show, it's been politics, politics, politics. But now if we can just sneak in a little bit of environmental news Representatives of six cities and counties have signed a petition calling for a ban on the use of coal and petroleum coke at the island's power plants. This bill was put together by the Yunlin County government, but it's received backing from the Taichung and Tainan governments, as well as the governments of uh, Changhua and Jiai counties. Uh, so, Donovan, uh, tell us a little bit about why this is a type of fuel that we're focusing on
2: quickly it's a draft law that the, that they 've signed on support for um, um, now specifically these the this type of coal and and petroleum coke uh, produce a lot of the those p, uh, those p m two point five uh, particle emissions that are considered particularly carcinogenic um, now central taiwan it used to be that southern taiwan uh, had the worst air pollution in the country but since um, Since October of last year, that's shifted to central Taiwan, but both central and southern Taiwan have really serious uh, problems with, with air pollution. For example, here in Taichung, apparently the leading cause of death is lung cancer. And that, a lot of people believe, is connected to the um, to the Taichung power plant, which is the largest power plant in the world. And according to Wikipedia, although I have some doubts about this, it apparently produces as much uh, carbon emissions as the entire country of Switzerland.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: So definitely a, a lot being produced there. Uh, but if... If these forms of fuel were taken out, uh, how far do you have any sense of how far that would go towards addressing the pollution problem
2: in taichung the by far the largest emitter is that power plant, and it's the number if I remember it correctly, it was thirty over thirty million metric tons of emissions come out of that plant. the second largest is nine million uh... again i think that's the, the the number out of the dragon steel plant and everything else in in central taiwan doesn't even come close to those two um, now the other affected uh, power plant in central taiwan though that would have been covered by this is also the one in my in union in, in union county and then that of course uh feeds the Naphtha cracker uh, down there, and then that has also come under a lot of uh, uh, criticism recently because of the talk, the high levels of uh, toxic heavy metals that have been found, in south, particularly in southern Zhanghua residents.
1: Right. So these are a set of proposals that have come out of administrations from the south and center of Taiwan Uh, But it's really important to point out that it contradicts national policy. Uh, And in fact, Economics Minister John Dung uh, came out earlier this week saying banning the use of coal products at the nation's power plants would seriously impact the country's ability to generate electricity. Uh, The figure that he gave is that 20 percent of Taichung's power comes from burning coal. Uh, So if the central government is opposing this, how far do we really think these proposals are are, going to go, Jane?
0: It's hard to say. I'm inclined to say they won't go very far at all. Um, But then there's also the question of people power. Like if you look at what happened last year with the anti-nuclear protests, that something like tens of thousands or over 100,000 people took to the streets and then the fourth nuclear power plant, you know, construction's been suspended and it's been mothballed. So we can see that under some circumstances in Taiwan, if there's sort of enough... Opposition and people are taking to the streets. Yes, things can happen, but ultimately, I think unless that unless there's a massive backlash or protests, i don't think this is going to go very far
1: yeah, and Donovan, do you have any sense of are, are there uh, alternatives being proposed i mean if if this these regions are so dependent on this form of uh, power generation are are the people putting forward these proposals? do they have any alternatives in mind?
2: Of course they're going to want to go with renewables, um, but they're not being very specific on that frankly although Lin Jowling did post up on his Facebook page today uh, or yesterday nine points uh, that he's going to undertake for the in Taichung City to help re- reduce emissions um, but to get back to um, uh, Jane's point, actually, I think she's absolutely correct that I think this is this is fundamentally it's sort of a statement of principle or and and it's, it's a symbolic move to try and change the nature of the debate, uh, which I think they want to push the central government into, into taking up the stand, and by doing this in a dramatic fashion, they're hoping to get more public support to lean on the, on the central government. Specifically, by the way, in uh, Puli, uh, residents plan to stage a protest uh, on, on Saturday.
1: Mm. So mm. maybe we will see more of that uh, street protest that uh, Jane was talking about a moment ago.
0: Yes, but whether we'll get to that level or not, I don't know, because, for example, after Fukushima, you know, the anti-nuclear sentiment in Taiwan rose dramatically. Um, but are there any sort of, you know, incidents like Fukushima in terms of airborne particles which would sort of mobilise people or make people alarmed enough to take to the streets? That's sort of the question.
2: Well, people are taking to the streets, but I think you're right. I don't think it's going to get to quite that same scale, but we could be wrong. I mean, you know, people's opinions before, uh, you know... yeah you know, people have gotten a lot they have been protesting about things in the last couple of years that we wouldn 't have imagined people protesting i think you know a decade ago
0: yes you 're quite right, like a lot of protests have determined policy, for example, the sunflower protests and the occupation of the legislature practically virtually reversed Main joel 's cross rate policies or at least allowed them to dramatically slow, and then there were the nuclear demonstrations. So you're quite right in the sense that street protests can sort of have an impact on the central government, and Ma ying administration is so unpopular that, you know, the protests could well take off.
1: Well, at the very least, they got us talking about it, so (laughs) small victory there at least. All right, but we're going to have to leave the conversation there for now. Uh, that's it for the show. You can leave your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Jane Ricards. Thank you, Jane.
0: Thank you, Keith.
1: And Donovan Smith, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.
2: Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, www.icrt.com.tw. Now, keep it here for more music and news, only on ICRT-FM 100.